0: Shabbat Shalom. Can you hear me now? Okay, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1 as we start our walk through the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 1. We did the introduction last week. Hope you were able to catch that. Um, Let's jump right into the text as we look at Ephesians Hebraically. Paul, Shaul, our Sholiach, an apostle of Messiah Yehusha by Elohim's will, to the Kedoshim, the saints in Ephesus, those trusting in Messiah Yahusha. That's our first verse in the texts. And as I said last week in the introduction, let's get a big picture. Those early manuscripts, in fact, three of the earliest manuscripts don't contain the words in Ephesus... Don't contain the words in Ephesus, which I spoke to you about that. I believe that this letter is in fact none other than a circular. And then they would put in the name of the congregation that they were speaking to as this letter went around Asia Minor. So the Ephesians, if that's the truth, which I believe it is and the evidence weighs, that the Ephesians didn't originally receive this letter. So, Tychius carried Paul's letter to a group of these assemblies throughout Asia Minor. In fact, Colossians 4.16 is a good tell. Um, and when this epistle is read among you, it says in Colossians 4.16, cause, cause that it be read also in the congregations of Laodicea, And ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So I for one believe this is in fact the circular letter that went to Ephesus and was coming from, coming to, excuse me, the Colossians from Laodicea. And there we have the circular that we know today as Ephesians. So very interesting. Let's think about the time of um, the context of the writing here. Think about um, Yahusha's mother Miriam. Um, According to Epiphanes of um, Salmis, who was in the fourth century of the common era, Miriam, the mother of Yahusha, our savior, spent the last few years of her life in this congregation in this congregation because we know that john the apostle was one of the leaders of the congregation in ephesus and he, the, he lived there and if he was loyal to the charge that yahusha gave him at the cross at the tree of crucifixion then it would have made sense to conclude that miriam journeyed with him because she was under his care and would have spent the last years of her life there We spoke last week a bit about the um, idolatry that was so prevalent within Ephesus. And that was the worship of Artemis, the temple of Diana, of called the Greeks Artemis, the Romans called her Diana, which was so overbearing within the city. And I can imagine that would have been so discouraging with your newfound faith, with your zeal, having fled from Jerusalem, fled from all the trials, tribulations in Jerusalem and Judea, to come to a city, to be with other believers, and to be, it, to be totally infiltrated by the worship of Diana Artemis all around, from the silversmiths on. And I think oftentimes, many of us today, we can become discouraged as believers when we look at the world around us especially as the older generations are dying off and the younger generations are literally have no idea what the Bible is no idea what to live a holy chaste life is it becomes quite discouraging it really does when you become very strange because now your standard of morality and holiness is so alien from the surroundings that are permeating our civilization, be encouraged. Because you know what? If enough of us continue to stand and spread the message and communicate in our communities to do what's right and holy at home, Even if the family is divided, to still stand and when there is nothing more, stand. Because in 262 of the common era, the temple of Diana was burned to the ground. Finally, it was literally burnt to the ground because the message had so permeated and stirred up the community. That can show you what a small group of people that are devout, that are vocal with their faith, that don't laugh at the crass jokes in the workplace, that stand up and remove themselves from situations that are immoral, that do not partake of the wickedness of the customs of the nations, whether it's Halloween and all of these things that people are going to compromise with and say, oh, well, let's call it Harvest Festival. No, we still stand and say, no, that's the pagan worship of Diana. We'll have nothing to do with it. Within a couple of hundred years, we can see that enough people had moved in righteousness that the whole system collapsed. And we are on the very way, if we continue to push and we continue to press in and not give in and not give up, that we can be that effect of change. Because like I say, that temple was burned to the ground. Her stronghold, and it was a stronghold, and we have the strongholds of media, sexuality immorality all abounding around us but once those strongholds and they are strongholds are broken the whole thing comes tumbling down and the stronghold of artemis diana upon the city of ephesus within 200 um, years of the speaking and writing of this letter it was broken down it was burnt down to the very ground never ever to be rebuilt again. In fact, the um, Keister River, overflowing its banks, gradually covered up the whole site of Diana with its muddy deposits, erasing it from the landscape forever. If that can happen then, that can happen now. We just have to really, really not give up hope. We have to, and it can be discouraging. It can be discouraging. But I'm encouraged as I look at the context of Scripture. Because then later in 341, there was a council that was held in Ephesus. And the first congregational council was held there. And the city that was once lost to Diana became the stronghold for Yahusha. Now that's what I'm talking about. Turned. It Turned. So as we now get into Ephesians chapter 1, Paul an apostle... A shaliach. Of course, the first mention of the word apostle in scripture was when the raven was sent out of the ark. So the first apostle was the raven. The second apostle was the dove. It's not some highbrow church office. It means that you are sent out for a specific purpose. Of course, the raven was sent out for a specific purpose. If we in the congregational setting send and anoint somebody and send them out for a specific purpose are they walking in an apostolic ministry? Yes, for sure and for certain. But then the church takes this and makes it into some highbrow office. It's not. It's an anointing and it's an operation of going out for a specific point. And that's what we're to do. We're to go out and be that apostolic voice in our community, sent out by Yahweh for a specific purpose. We take up the mantle in the priesthood of Yahusha. Paul took up the mantle and it's clear that he wanted to let his readers know that this appointment was an appointment by man. It was an appointment made by the very will of Elohim because he had a largely Gentile audience and they relied upon fate and luck and things like that. We don't operate in that realm. Nothing that happens to us is because of fate and luck. It is by the will of Elohim that we are designated for service in this life that we have. And we have a life where we have golden connections in the faith. And none of it is luck. None of it is fate. It is by the will of ...of Elohim, that He puts us together and we make the connections. We have to take every opportunity. If somebody's watching this online, it's not luck or fate that it came up in your YouTube queue. It is the will of Elohim. I can't tell you how many people have contacted this ministry... ...because the will of Elohim had Torah to the tribes recommended on their YouTube feed... ...because they were watching other righteous holy things whereas other people are led down a path of iniquity because yet their YouTube feed is absolutely iniquitous. So stand and do the right thing, and guess what? The will of Elohim will bring blessing into your life, or it will literally be covered by the mire and the clay, just like the temple of Diana was. Isn't that powerful? Just super powerful because Paul knew that his audience, they were thinking about luck. They were thinking about fate and they were into this impersonal um, determinism that led their destiny. But no, not the life of believers. No, they were a bunch of pagans and that's what they believed in. But that's not what we believe in. This shows us from the start how interconnected Ephesians and Colossians actually are. Because that we know the Colossians, they were into all kinds of luck and um, astral gazing. They were into a kind of proto-Gnosticism. They were looking at the stars for signs and they were into the occult. So right off the back, we see right here the Greek term in the first verse. This Greek term, tois hagois. And it comes from the Hebrew word Kedoshim, and it's used to describe believers in Yahushua in verse 1. So believers in Yahushua, if we look at this word, and we track it back to the Septuagint, to the saints or the Kedoshim, or Tos Hagois in the Greek. It's connected to the Tanakh term, that term found in the Old Testament, which comes directly and connects us back to the Melchizedek priesthood at the mountain. And this is a term used to describe believers in Yahushua. So ancient Israel, verse 1 is originally called to fulfill this specific role. Remember, they came out of Egypt, they came to the mountain, and they were called the Kedoshim, or in the Septuagint, Hagois, or Tois Hagois, the Kedoshim, or the saints. Yes, that was the specific role that Israel was to fulfill. But that role... Right now, in verse 1, is found in the fulfillment of Yahushua, and it is attributed to the followers of Yahushua. Can it be any clearer than that? A term that was attributed to Israel... As the priesthood at the mountain is the term that is now attributed to believers in Messiah. It is Israel expanded. It is, like I said last week, Maximus Israel. That's it. And he's saying it. So that is what the gospel is. If nothing more but an expansion of the original mission given to Israel. That's what the gospel is. It's an expansion of the original mission given to Israel, Maximus Israel, Yahuwah's holy people in continuity with the Old Testament designation of Israel. Nothing simpler, nothing simpler than that. And the Torah of first mention in the Septuagint of the related word is Exodus 19, verse 6. That's the first mention of this Greek word, Exodus 19, verse 6. The word that appears in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, its first reference, its weight of first mention is in Exodus 19:6. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a hagois nation, a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. This is now attributed to us. That is powerful. These are the kinds of things that you can try and wrestle all you want with your theological gymnastics, but the word of Yah is true and every man is a liar. And when I teach that we are the priesthood of Messiah, and I can connect it back to the book of the covenant, Torah, in the Old Testament, linguistically, There's nothing that you can do but be verifying it through your very scriptures. And that is how we study to see and show ourselves approved. Leviticus 23 verse 4. Let's look at this word. These are the feasts of Yahuwah, even holy hagois. The same word used in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 to talk about you holy saints These are holy convocations which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. So in context, believers in Yahushua, they are to follow the book of the covenant Torah. They are to keep the feasts and sabbaths of Yahuwah. The language clearly connects us back. You are Maximus Israel expanded gospel to the nations that is what will bring down the idolatry in your families it will bring down the idolatry in your communities and it will cover it all up with mire and clay never to be resurrected again because you are living a resurrected life but you've got to walk in the power. You have got to walk in the power and we have got to vocalize this life and be different. We don't blend in with the Ephesians. We don't blend in with the pagans and the go along with it, you know, just, just to you know keep the peace. No, you have to vocalize it so it can come tumbling down. You have to vocalize it so it can come tumbling down. Let's look at verse 2. Grace and shalom to you from Elohim our Father and from the curious, yod He wah Yahusha the Messiah. And of course, I've connected this so many times in the Septuagint. Curious and the divine name. Paul absolutely considers Yahusha the Messiah to be Yahuwah manifested to the nations at large in humanity. flesh he's the fulfiller of promises he's the one who brings his people right back to the right standing that we once had as israel at the mountain of reversal look at verse 3 blessed be the elohim of our father and of our curious lord yahusha the messiah who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in messiah and of course, this is the Hebrew bracha. This is the Hebrew liturgical blessing that would have been employed daily within the lives of the believers in the synagogue community in a liturgical sense. Look at Psalm 41, verse 3. You'll see this liturgy here. Blessed is Yahuwah, the Elohim of Israel, from the age unto the age. Amen, ve, amen. And Psalm 66, verse 20. Blessed is Elohim who hath not turned aside my prayer and his loving kindness from me. Luke 168. Blessed is Yahweh the Elohim of Israel because he did look upon and wrought redemption for his people. We were driving here today, and we, my wife pointed out just how amazing it is in Oregon in this time of year. It's a little late this season. which seems like we have the um, wonderful fall of early October, even in late October and the beginning of November, and the trees are changing, and we literally were just giving praise to Yahuwah for his creation. And I, it just dawned on me, and I said, Do you realize, honey, there are people that live their whole lives that they don't praise Yahuwah? I mean, we're praising him for everything. We're praising him that we got home safely. We're praising him for his provision when we go grocery shopping. We're praising him for his provision when we pay the bills. We're praising his provision that we didn't have nightmares. I mean, everything. Constantly. All the time. That's the life that we live. And it just dawned on me. There are people that literally could go their whole life, and they never give the Creator glo- I can't even imagine I mean, I realize that I exist surely, purely because of Yahweh's rachamin, his mercy. And I, I know that. Pure mercy. And there are people that walk around bold and cocky and think that they have control over their lives. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we are here purely because of his love and his great mercy. And I give him thanks and glory as often and as often as I can. In all things, just like Paul said, pray without ceasing. Without ceasing. Walking along the streets. Praise Yahweh. That could have been me so easily. You know? My goodness, anyway, it gives you perspective. So, as we've gone in to two whopping verses within Ephesians chapter 1, do you either see... The separation from Israel, or do you see a connectiveness like nothing else in Scripture? Because to me, I do not see any separation from the Sabbaths, the feasts. I see a connectiveness through the language. What I see is a separation from the pagan world. How on earth did we get 2,000 years down the road where they're telling us that our faith is connect with the hallmark moments, connect with the pagan world, and separate yourself from the commandments of Yahuwah, and that's the Christian life. That's insanity. You never see that within the Bible. It doesn't exist. So are we going to follow false religion or are we going to go back to the truth of Yahweh's word? Because as far as I can see, there is no separation from Israel. There is the absolute opposite. Paul's going to great lengths to show the Ephesians their connectiveness to the covenant people of Elohim at the mountain. Is he not? That mountain where the Sabbath was given. That mountain where the feasts and festivals were put into place after they had come out through the blood of the Lamb. So the only separation that I see thus far is from Diana and the pagan world and their holidays. That's what I see. Quite the opposite of what is being taught in denominations today Embracing every form of pagan holiday, hallmark moment, and ignoring the things of Elohim. It's quite sad. And those are the things that can become quite disheartening to us at times. Can they not? It really can. Quite disheartening. But Yahuwah chose Israel. He chose you. Not so that you'd alienate yourselves. Not so that I'd alienate myself. To hell with them, bunch of pagans. No. I mean, that's my tendency sometimes. Just want to alienate myself. Well, all right, let them just drown in it. But no, he chose Israel not so that we'd alienate ourselves from the world, but that we would be that difference in the world. That's what we're to be. We're to be that difference that is actually expressed in the world. I've come a lot about asking questions of people. And I like to ask questions about people's tattoos. Because they, I mean, especially in Oregon, it seems everybody is tattooed up. And I just say, what does that mean to you? I mean, crazy things. I've seen, like, on a on a, a girl, a full the full or hold um, horn with a Illuminati triangle, and I mean the whole devil head right across the chest, you know. And I'd be like, interesting. What does that mean to you? And it's amazing just by asking the question, without being judgmental, just out of interest just the stories that you'll hear and the lead-in that it gives you. Tattoos of skulls and demons and then a cross and then some crazy thing, you know, and you'll be like, well, what does that mean to you? And you'll be surprised sometimes. You could never even concoct such a thing. Where did you get that from? But it's amazing. Then what you do, just drop some truth. Just a little bit of truth, because in such darkness, it doesn't take much to separate. It doesn't take much. And you think you're being bold and courageous, but you're really not, because it's just a tiny drop of truth that you you guys wouldn't even... It would be nothing to you, because we're so... We're in the Word, and you'd be, it would be just, just an offhand comment that you're saying in the o egg line. But to somebody that's living in absolute darkness, just that morsel of truth can literally... Be earth-shattering of the day. Earth-shattering. Do you realize how you can affect change in your community by not laughing at the jokes, by standing and doing something different, by not going and saying, no, I'm not going to do that on that day when you're all doing that. Well, why not? Well, just a little bit of truth. Or will you just appease everybody and blend in? Because then it's all up here and it's not here. We've got to walk it out because that's what the Ephesians did. That's the conviction that I have. Truly, truly, truly. Because too often we try to separate and alienate ourselves rather enter in to express that difference in the world. And it is a difference that the world so desperately needs right now, isn't it? It really is. Right now, more so than any other time. Think about it this way. The nations, the nations where we're actually captured right now, the nations are the very reason for Israel's existence. Yahweh chose us to be his chosen nation, his elected ones to service and be a service to the world. That was Israel's point. Israel Maximus, Maximus Israel, is to go out. Because you and I are the firstborn son. A relationship that was established back at the Exodus. Exodus chapter 4 verse 22. And thou hast said unto Pharaoh, thus said Yahuwah, my son, my firstborn is you. Israel. Israel. Just for some context and a little time, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. And listen, heavens and hear earth, for Yahuwah has spoken. Sons I have raised and brought up. Sons I have raised and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox know his, his owner, and the donkey its manager. I have to stop right there. There's many of you that I know, connect with, and I know that many of us men, whether my father died when I was uh, uh, you know, th- 12 or 13, um, I know many of us men, even you know, women as well. I mean, it really goes broad across all. We've literally been raised by Yahuwah. I know that I have. I mean, I turned into a man because Yahuwah raised me from the age of 24. You're just shaking your head. I know. We, we've spoken too. Because this is what it's talking about, to be raised by Yahuwah. Because we are his firstborn son. We are his firstborn. Whether you're male or female, slave or free, Greek or Jew, we know that we are one in Messiah. We use these masculine terms here in Isaiah the prophet. But we know what Yahusha has done for us all. Listen. Heavens and here earth. For Yahweh has spoken. Sons I have raised up and brought up. But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its manager. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Oh, what a sinful nation. A people weighed down with iniquity. Offspring of evildoers, sons, dealing corruptly. They have abandoned. They have abandoned Yahuwah. They have despised Israel's Holy One. They have turned backwards. Where will you be struck again? As you stray away more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. We have to renew our mind daily. Because as you think, you become... And this is a constant work of sanctification. And when you're bombarded by busyness and that's an excuse for sin, because no we're all busy. Well I'm too busy No, you're too busy in sin because busyness is an excuse for sin. Can't tell you how many times people Oh, I'm too busy. I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? We're all too busy. That's called sin. Now make time for Yahuwah. Make time for service. Make time for the things that are important because that's the world that we live in. Busy, 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 be. So listen, as Yahweh speaks through the prophet here, we have to renew our mind so that our hearts can become strong. But we have to do that daily because look what it says in verse 6. From the foot to the head, there is no soundness. Meaning, if you don't renew your mind and the way you think, it's going to infiltrate your heart and it's going to affect how you walk out your faith. It's going to affect how you walk out your faith or don't walk out your faith in your community. And the longer you're a believer, the more temptation there is for you to look backwards and start to become friendly with the world again. No we have to keep that first love because the whole head is sick the whole heart faint from the foot to the head there is no soundness wounds bruises and raw sores not pressed not bandaged nor softened with oil verse 7 your land is desolate your cities are burned with fire your fields, strangers devour in your presence a desolation overthrown by strangers so the daughter of zion is left as a sukkah in a vineyard as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers and as a besieged city unless yahuwah savot had left us all but a small remnant we would have been as sodom we would have been as gomorrah hear the word of yahuwah you rulers of sodom give ear to the Torah of our Elohim, how many people are listening to the commandments of Yahweh? I mean, it does say that those who heed the commandments and have the testimony of testimony of Yahusha are the righteous ones. In the Book of Revelation, there's no more pressing time than to press into Yahusha and the commandments than right now. Surely, surely, you people. Of Gomorrah. For what is it to me, verse 11? The multitude of your sacrifice, says Yahweh. I am full of burnt offerings of rams and of fat of fed animals, and I have no delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand, trampling my courts, bring no more worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New month and Sabbath, the calling of convocations. I cannot even endure it. Iniquity with solemn assembly. Look at verse 14. Your new months and your festivals, my soul hates. They are a burden to me. I am wary to bear them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When you multiply prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, relieve the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Come now, let us be reasonable together. Let us reason together. Surely, says Yahuwah, though your sins be like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they will become like wool. If you are willing and obey, you will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of Yahuwah has spoken. The sword of Islam is coming across this world. And there are people in more rebellion and iniquity than in the times of Diana. And people are more unreasonable today than ever before, even in the congregational believing setting. People are unreasonable and don't even want to reason together. Oh, well, you've hurt me. I'm offended. I'm leaving. It is childish and it is a broken broken person that cannot continue to press in and seek healing and growth because your mind has become affected with unforgiveness that it's entered into your heart and now you're feeling bitterness towards somebody else and then your feet walk out of the congregation and you stay home because now it's affected your life and you will be stuck And you will remain stuck. And then the mud and the mire will envelope your life. And you'll be forgotten. You could have been used for great glory. But then you got muddied and betrodden by all of the bitterness. I see it so often. Being a believer, being in the ministry is hard. And you are all in the ministry. We are all in the ministry. All of us, and it is hard, but you have got to press. And when you are pushed upon, you have to stand and you have to push back. You cannot compromise in your home. You cannot compromise in the assembly, and you cannot compromise in the world. Because if you do, you'll be covered with that mire and that mud. But if you don't, you will knock down the temples of Diana and they will be no more remembered in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and in your family. You have to be on your knees and you have to be in prayer. But you've got to think right so that you can feel right, so you can walk right. This is what the prophet's saying. Now let's get back to Ephesians verse 4. He chose us in the Mashiach before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Messiah Yahusha, in keeping with the good pleasure of his will to the glorious praise of his grace which he favored us through the one that he loves. Now, We have to be in context here because you can easily start to go off on a Calvinistic or Arminian trip here, can't you? And start going down the rabbit trail of election and, well, you're chosen, I'm not... You know, you can start to get into that, you know, 16th, 17th, 18th century Christian um, argumentative spirit and the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. But in the context of this, Paul had never heard of either of those doctrines, right? Right. He had never heard about that. So the concept of election here is not individual. We are talking about corporate election, the election of Israel, the nation, and now you Ephesians, Maximus Israel. We're not talking along the lines of Calvinism or Arminianism at all. This is the election of the priesthood. That's what we're talking about because we've already connected through the language, Hagois back to the mountain. This is the election of the priesthood, kedoshim, the Hebrew word, Hagois, the Greek word. This is the mountain of reversal, that holy hagois nation to be manifest with a braka, a blessing to the nations. That's the election that we're talking about. That's powerful when we look at it in context. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the removal of trespasses in keeping with the richness of his grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. And that's it. That's the born again life. It gives us insight, does it not, into the hidden mysteries of Elohim, into the hidden mysteries of the world. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will in keeping with his good pleasure that he planned in Messiah. <coughs> the Greek word here is mustrion. Sounds like a, a men's fragrance. Mustrion. Some of you could have used that at Sukkot. We're going to bring a, we're going to bring a bottle of mustryon next year. But that is the Greek word for the mystery. And some of you did smell like a mystery too. But the mustryon would have been a term that false teachers would have used in Asia Minor. And Paul had already addressed that to the Colossians. This was the Greek mystery cults. And unlike these mystery cults, with their secret esoteric religious rites that was only open to their initiates, born-again believers to Yahushua, they need no such thing. No such thing. Look at verse 10. The plan of the fullness of times is to bring all things together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth, all in him. So the kingdom of Elohim is a present force. Do you realize that? The kingdom of Elohim is a present force. It's not some future eschatological force or exercise of the mind. If I think enough about the apocalyptic future, then that's the kingdom. No, the kingdom of Yahuwah is a present force. And by you speaking that morsel of truth, you can literally create and change things because the word Is from Yahuwah and speaking truth is a creative force in a dark, dark world so this isn't limited to the understandings of prophetic texts this isn't limited to trying to untangle the Daniel um, timeline this isn't limited to trying to even untangle visions of the prophets this is about the kingdom of Elohim being a present force in your life and if it's not then that's the problem you have to do an inventory you have to truly go home and say is the kingdom of elohim a present force in my life am i manifesting a present force and then you know where you're at and what changes you need to make because you answer the questions again in first 10 we see paul Pointing us back to the mountain. Look, he's pointing us back to the mountain again. Where both things in heaven. What were the things in heaven that happened at the mountain? Anyone? What were the things of, in heaven that happened back in the mountain from Exodus 19 to Exodus 24, 11, where the book of the covenant was given? Give us an example of something that happened in heaven. How about when the 70 elders went up the mountain and there was a pavement of sapphire as clear as the heavens? There is no more clear text in the whole of the Torah of the heavens than that, Exodus 24.10. Of course, Paul is using the language to pinpoint us back to the moment that Israel was brought into the book of the covenant. And then on earth, when is there no more appointed fact of Israel on earth it will be you will be mine own treasure from among all people for all the earth is mine the text of course is the book of the covenant text Exodus 19 verse 5 I'm not making this stuff up and so when Paul is referencing the heaven and the earth you have to go back to those foundational texts there's no more foundational text where the heavens were manifest in the Torah than Exodus Exodus 24 verse 10 and there is no more foundational text to Israel when Yahweh says you shall be a treasure of mine upon the whole earth. That's the juxtaposition between earth and heaven that he's now referencing and he's taking you back like an arrow to the inception point of covenant because now Ephesians Get into the Torah, the book of the covenant, the Sabbath, the feasts, and the festivals. And guess what? When you start to walk this out in your community, those silversmiths and those idols are going to crumble. And eventually, Diana's going to be covered with mire and clay. This is how we affect change. And we're doing it again today. But you have to believe that you can exercise and manifest the power of yahuwah as a priest in the priesthood because you are all elected into it this is corporate election of the priesthood that's what he's talking about look at this because in ephesians chapter 110 we see both things in heaven and things on earth all are in him that text it's pointing back to is exodus twenty four ten and exodus nineteen five. the book ends really of the book of the covenant bookends ratified look at verse 11 of ephesians 1 in him we were also chosen predestined according to his plan he keeps working out all things according to the purpose of his will so that we who were put first to put our hope in messiah might be for his glorious praise paul speaking of right here that first generation of Messianic believers among whom he was a part, and now he's addressing a second and speaking to a second generation of believers. I mean, you can talk about, you know, a case for Christ, and that's a great book. But right here, we have a case for Israel, the Melchizedek priesthood of Elohim. That's a case that needs to be taken up because the salvation of Yahweh has always originated upon the mount in the Hebrew becha upon the mount with Israel as both a kingdom of priests and a light that can affect the nations Amen. affect the nations Amen. you see Israel's divine mandate is to be a blessing to the nations And that divine mandate is rooted in the book of the covenant Torah. It's rooted in the promises given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Paul speaks of it to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And now he is again communicating it with the Ephesians. This is powerful. And this was going around all Asia Minor. It's a clarion call for action. Verse 13. After you have heard the message of truth, the good news of your salvation, and when you put your trust in him, you were sealed with the promised Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee of our kleromia in the Greek. That's a mouthful English inheritance. But I want to use the Greek so we can track it because that inheritance, the Greek word, let's try it again, claromia. Man, I should have paid attention more when I was in boarding school they bring out the Latin and the Greek, and I was off doing some other things I shouldn't have been doing. But now I'm, I'm regretting that. Until the redemption of his possession, because if you actually learn how to speak it and use that when you were younger, then you'd have a better caption of it in the tongue right now. But you can't redeem the time, can you? You simply can't. You can try as you may. So those of you that want to tease me about my Greek, you are welcome to do it. I can take it like a man until the redemption of his possession to his glorious praise let's try it a third time i'll say it really slowly for my sake claromia claromia the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of his possession and this comes, kleron, that's easier for me, kleron. It means to allot or assign. And where, this is the question, where in the Torah did Yahuwah allot or assign? Because that's what Paul's talking about. This Greek word, I'm not going to say it again, I've said it enough, <laughs> means, which is inheritance, It means to allot or assign. So you have to go back and you go, now where in the Torah did Yahuwah allot or assign? Where is this this root of this word that he's talking to the Ephesians that they're the inheritance? You go to Deuteronomy 32 verse 8 and you find this. In the Most High causing the nations to inherit, in his separating sons of Adam... He setteth up the borders of the nations by the number of the sons of Israel. So again, right here, if you can track with me, Paul is strictly saying that the ecclesia... The kahal, the church, the congregation is connected to Genesis chapter 28, the promises given to Abraham, fulfilled in Israel at the original mountain, squandered later by Israel when they brought up not Artemis or Diana, but the bull from Egypt, but it was the same thing. They squandered those promises at the golden calf. And now we find through Yahushua, Israel is redeemed. They are restored and they are now maximized. And he connects it all the way back through the language as an Inheritance. And now the nations that have been set as an inheritance and their borders set, you're now to go out to Deuteronomy 32 verse 8. And here's this letter that's going to start to go around to these nations that have been set, their borders set by the number of the children of Israel that each can inhabit. Think about the borders of the United States of America. How big are our borders? So then, how many of the children of Israel are here? Because the borders of the nations are set by how many of the children of Israel that can inhabit within it. Look at verse 15. Therefore, ever since I heard of your trust in the master Yehusha and of your love for all the Kedoshim, I never stop giving thanks for you as I mention you in my prayers. That the Elohim of our master, Yahusha the Messiah, our glorious father, may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in knowing him. And it doesn't escape me here, especially in this part of the letter that Paul conveys him acting as though he doesn't actually know his audience, right? You can see that detachment within the language here. He doesn't know them personally. Because as we find Ephesians, as we find Laodicea and even the Colossi, this circular idea kind of gains weight, doesn't it? Look in Colossians chapter 1 verse 4. For we heard, again, not this personal connection with his audience. We heard of your trust in Messiah Yehusha and the love you have for all the Kedoshim. In Colossians 2, verse 1, we see that again. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea, as well as for those who still have not seen me face to face. So he hasn't got this personal connection because, again, it's a circular letter. So now we find in verse 17... We find the spirit of wisdom or the Ruach of Chokmah was given by Yahuwah to help in building the very tabernacle which Paul's about to reveal in a few paragraphs in chapter 2 of Ephesians verse 21. Because it's the spirit of wisdom, it's that Holy Spirit that gives us wisdom that enables a community to be built. And it can never be built properly without the manifestation of the Holy Spirit where we're called to divine service. So whenever the cloud back in the Old Testament was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel were to set out. And now right here... We have Paul instructing the Ephesians, "You are Israel, fully realized, you're Maximus Israel. Now set out, go out as if the cloud is leading you. You are now to go and fulfill your commission as a Malchizedek priests to the nations, Maximus Israel. Go. Do it. The cloud is moving. As this circular letter goes out, that's the cloud moving. It's anointed. Now you're to set out too. Verse 18 I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the Kedoshim, the saints, and what is his exceedingly great power toward us who keep trusting him in keeping with the working of his mighty strength. And the Rabbi Rashi, Rashi, famously declares on his commentary in exodus chapter 19 did i say rashi or Rashi? something anyway i hear some strange strange i know i'm having trouble with my pronunciation today but rashi says on his commentary on exodus shemote 19 he says thus israel encamps there as one man with one mind bear in mind This is Rashi, who is not a believer in Yahushua. And he he quotes this in his commentary on Exodus 19. Israel encamps there as one man. We know it as one new man now, right? Israel Maximus. Israel encamps there as one man with one mind, putting aside their conflicts to join together to await the giving of the Torah. Adonai calls to Moshe from the top of the mountain. He delineates the divine covenant which Moshe is to convey to Benai Israel, the children of Israel, outlining the privileges and responsibilities of the chosen nation. A precious treasure, am segular in the Hebrew, among the nations of the world. That's Rashi exodus nineteen four through 6 so paul here links us back again to obeying yahuwah is just part of being his what his segula His precious treasure or treasured possession. And that language comes right, according to Rashi, that segular, that precious treasure language, comes right from the book of the covenant mountain. How much clearer can it be? Paul takes biblical descriptions of Israel and Israel's mission, and he applies them to Jewish and non-Jewish believers alike maximus israel powerful look at verse 20 this power he exercised in messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heaven he is far above any ruler authority power leader and every name that is named not only in this world but also in the next the olam haba Look at verse 22. Elohim placed all things under Messiah's feet and appointed him as head over all things for his community, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills all in all. So the heavenly powers rule all the nations except Israel. Oh yes, those heavenly powers, those fallen heavenly principalities, they rule all the nations, but they don't rule the believers. They don't rule the believers. Paul is now saying those in the priesthood, those united in Messiah, have been raised above all of those powers and principalities. If you can walk in it, but you have to, You have got to understand it. You have got to believe it in your mind so it permeates your heart, so it affects the way you walk out in the community. We have been placed and raised above those powers. You have the power to take on your generations, your health. You have the power to take control geographically. Setting about and praying boundaries around where you live, around where you walk, around where you work. You set those boundary stones. You anoint them with oil. You pray and you mark. You take over geographically you take over generationally because you have been raised above these powers these principalities that have power in the nations but you as the nation maximus israel you're raised above it but you've got to understand it believe it and affect your soul and your flesh but that only happens with faith And the conscience, the spirit igniting you and you taking charge and moving in the power. And this all happens when you begin to raise your awareness. Awareness to the truth. Awareness to the realm that you are living in. It's an increasedness of your preparedness. And you start to combat the carnal realm and the principality sphere akin. It's powerful stuff. What a chapter. This is just the opening chapter of how he communicates in this circular. And we know the end game, that the whole thing comes tumbling down and Diana is covered in mire and clay and mud, never to be resurrected in that community again. And then the first council of the Nazarenes is is held in Ephesus. In fact, the very mother of Yehusha dwells and lives there. This is powerful. And this happened by people realizing that the kingdom is now and it is within you it doesn't come by observation and so many people are right arguing over the calendar and arguing and they're not realizing the kingdom is within you And everyone's breaking fellowship and staying home and being isolated and hurt and bent out because you keep this and I don't this and da, 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 squabble, squabble, squabble. And you're missing that the kingdom is within and you're to affect the nations from within and walk it out. And this is the power because you have been raised above the powers, but you're still getting dragged down in your generations. You're still walking in that same geography and you can never get out of it. Sometimes you have literally got to move so that you can get into an anointed and appointed position because everything else is dragging you down. Yahusha, right here, what a chapter! We see in the very first chapter, Yahushua is portrayed in summation as the, a divine being. He's being described in tabernacle language throughout. And his followers, they are allotted an inheritance as priests at the mountain communing with him, as elders seeing just as they did in past times, all tabernacle book of the covenant language from the bookends of Exodus 19, 5 through twenty four ten. You see a pavement as sapphire, as clear as the very heavens. How much clearer can it be to us? Because it was clear to the Ephesians and they took action upon it. I hope as we get into these next chapters that we can take that action and we can affect our world as much as they affected theirs. If you believe it and you walk in it and you become that change. But if you don't become that change, then what are you here for? What is this life for? We have to be that change. Questions, comments, anybody?
1: You know, I was going to share just, um, it's just a story. This happens all the time. Uh, I, I was told this when I was little, that we're always being watched. Everywhere we go, you know, people are always watching us. And in raising my children, this, this happens so, it happens all the time. Every time we go out into public, I, we tell the children that wherever we walk, that land belongs to Yahweh. So we're very careful where we go and, and um, what stores we go into. But we'll see it. We'll go into a restaurant, just a few cars out there. We go in there, and all of a sudden, within 15 minutes, it's super busy. And we show the children that because we want them to know that where the spirit of Yahuwah goes, they're going to see people attracted to that spirit, even though they don't even know what's happening. When we moved out here to Oregon, I told them, you guys really stand out here because you could really sense an orphan spirit here in the state of Oregon. Mm. You really could. And I said, you guys are going to be watched everywhere we go. People are going to ask about you. So be on your best behavior and remember that you represent Yahweh." And in the first couple of years we were here, every store, Costco, the mall, we would get stopped. And the children, they don't ask me. They look right to Jude and Hadassah because they're the oldest. Are you guys all one family? You look really different. Why are you so different? And it got to a point where I could hear my children as they got ready to go on a trip. Because we don't take trips very often (laughs) as a whole family. It got to the point where my older children were telling my younger children, Remember, we're getting watched everywhere we go. Because, isn't this true, Judah? (laughs) Because the Ruach goes with us. And so when you're teaching this, Matthew, it really is our thoughts that begin to dominate and begin to characterize how what our actions are and what we see happening around us, because it really is the Ruach. Mm. And it's for the purpose of the lives that are around us, to influence them, just that one word you said. You could give just a little minute piece of truth, and it's like light on their life. It's a boom. And one of my children had an opportunity to say, we don't celebrate that you don't celebrate Chris. No, we just celebrate Yahusha. And she just stares at me. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. You yeah. know, We just celebrate him. But um, just a quick...
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's it. And I like what you said, especially in this state, you do sense that orphan spirit. And when you have families and you go out as families, oh my goodness... Because there's there's so much brokenness all around. Broken marriages, broken homes, brokenness everywhere. And when you walk out in marriages, in holiness, and there is that connectiveness, it is a light. And if you run a business and you run that differently, and you, you, you are called to, it affects change and it makes change. I mean, I just had to make an announcement, um, and I, I have um, heathen employees, I have Christian employees, I have all, I have every gamut. And I just had to make an announcement and just say, you know, I just want everybody to know, as we are coming into that season in the world, that that's not going to happen here. And if anybody brings any of that stuff in, I will tear it down, it will go in the trash, and that's just the way it is. If there's anything, that would ever come in here it will be a giant whopping menorah and I'll bring it in but until you see that nothing comes in here and people are like and in, even the uh, the Christians were saying well you can't um, push that on us I'm like well actually I can because it's my business <laughs> you know but that was even offensive because you know christmas is coming up and what you're not going to allow, allow that to be to be no No. But people ask, well, what what does he believe in? What do you believe? Because we can affect the change just by being the people it speaks of in the book of Revelation that love Yahusha and keep his commandments. And if if that's the truth, just that little bit of truth, if that's what you speak, well, that's enough right there to affect change. Because go and look at where that verse stands. It stands in the midst of Babylon. Come out of Babylon. Because you're the people that keep the commandments of Yahuwah. And love Yahusha. Powerful time. So be blessed. And um, we look into Ephesians chapter 2 next week.